So very exciting things happening at Westside, but the most exciting part is we are about to read God's word. So grab your Bible out and turn your attention to the reading of God's word this morning. All right, we are in Exodus 12, 1 through 14. There should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. If you do not have a Bible at home, that is our gift to you this morning. We love God's word, and we hope that you love it too. All right, Exodus 12, 1 through 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You take it from the sheep or from the goats, and shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you and the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Westside. Good morning. It has been a while since I've had the opportunity to be in the pulpit, but nonetheless, I am excited to be here. I am excited to take place in or take a part of this series that we have been in. For those of you who don't know, last week we started a new series called Home. And home entirely revolves around our families as individuals, as a family of the body of Christ, as a family at Westside. And last week we talked about family mission. And our family mission, we discovered God's intended design that we saw in Deuteronomy and also in Luke chapter 10 was that we should love the Lord our God with all, all of who we are, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we should express that love to God and to our neighbors and our families as well. And a really cool application point, if you missed it last week, I would encourage you to go back on our podcast and listen to it. We saw a passage in Proverbs that said, without prophetic vision, vision from God's word and vision from God himself, the people will cast off restraint or will buck against that vision or any kind of guidance from God in their lives. And so our response to that in light of family mission was, hey, in order to acknowledge where you're going or to know where you're going, you have to acknowledge where you're at. And so we acknowledged where we were and then we said, hey, why don't we figure out where we're going and write a vision statement like for our families? So has anybody done that? Did anybody write out a vision statement for your family this past week? 
Awesome, a few of you. If you haven't, which is the majority of you in this room, do that this week. Sit, my wife and I have not done that yet, so I couldn't raise my hand, but she's been out of town, and this week we're going to plan on sitting down and saying, hey, these are the things that are going to mark us as a family. We're going to love one another, and we're going to express that physically, mentally, emotionally with all of who we are, and then we are going to express that to others inside and outside of this home. I would encourage you guys to do that. It's an awesome application. So last week was family mission, and this week we are talking about family celebration. And with the text that was read to you, you were like, holy cow, how can this be celebratory? We're talking about eating, eating animals and all their innards, and people are dying, and there's blood and stuff. We'll get there a little bit later. Um, but since we're talking about celebration, um, it's kind of like fit for the time, right? Like we are not, we are no strangers to celebration. We, some of you have, have little kids and you've celebrated birthdays recently. I know our, our oldest, Jessie Ray, she just turned two back in August and we all gathered around here at the church and we hung out and we celebrated her. Um, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Some of you are going to grit your teeth and fake it through the meal and like be, pretend that you're celebrating. And some of you will genuinely be happy to be there. And I'm thankful for that as well. We've got Christmas coming up. These are all holidays that, that we gather around together as families and we celebrate. This is something that we do. But it's not something that just kind of rose up out of nothing and someone said, you know what would be awesome is if we all ate together and then did something fun to commemorate and remember something, to celebrate. It didn't start with us. Celebration started with God. Celebration began with who I am referring to as God in this sermon, as the great celebrator. God is the great celebrator. God is the great celebrator. We see in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, He will rejoice over you with gladness, and He will exult over you with loud singing. Did you know that God sings and God celebrates? That we believe that the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are one, a celebratory God. We see this in God the Father, but we also see this in God the Son. In Jesus Christ. We know very well from the Gospels that Jesus, and just going through the, our Psalm series, um, through the uh, summer playlist, the Psalms of Ascent, that Jesus would have sang those songs, Jesus would have celebrated, and if, in fact, the very first account that we have of Jesus interacting with people in the book of Matthew is at a wedding feast, at a celebration. So we know God the Son celebrated, and we know that as God's word says, that apart from the Holy Spirit, nobody, confessed, nobody can confess that Jesus Christ was born and lived and died, and that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we see that the three part of the Trinity, the triune God, is a celebratory God. But God being a gracious and good and loving God does, does not keep that to himself. He doesn't keep the celebration aspect to himself. He actually shares it and spills it out all over creation. He spills it out everywhere. And so he it ultimately gives it to us. Um, we were created as celebrators by the great celebrator. Um, in fact, the, the, the first song that we have recorded in Scripture, I'll, I'll walk you through it if you don't remember the creation account. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and all darkness was over the face of the deep. He creates the sun, moon, the stars, the land animals, the plants, the sea, the birds, the sky, and then he makes man. And then he makes Adam, and Adam is, spends a series of time like naming animals and stuff and being like, all of these are great, but none of them are like a helper that's fit for me. And God sees that, and so God puts Adam into a deep sleep, removes a rib from his side, and fashions Eve. And then Eve is there, Adam wakes up and looks at Eve and says, at last, my love has come along. I mean, it's basically, what is it, Etta, what's her last name? Etta, yeah, that one. Um, uh, <laughs> Influencing her, we see that exact line in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
Um, the very first song that we have recorded is, is a picture of God sharing and giving a celebratory song, an aspect to Adam, to mankind, to people. And this is a beautiful picture of what it was before everything turned south. This is what it looked like when God, as the great celebrator, gave us as beings celebratory tendencies and gave us celebration and things to celebrate. But then we did have a shift. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve obeyed the voice of the serpent and ate the fruit and disobeyed God, essentially what they said is that everything that you've given me, everything that you have created and given us rule and dominion over and food and things to till and work and take care of and husband and wife is not good enough for me and not good enough for me to celebrate. So we would rather celebrate ourselves. That's what we said in the garden. And so flash forward to 2019, we can kind of draw a straight line back to the garden. The foundation of our celebration has shifted. The foundation of who we are as celebrators has shifted. And although it's 2019 and that was a long time ago in the garden, I believe that even though it might look a little different now, you can probably unpack some things and see that the core issue is the foundation of celebration. Because we celebrate what we love, right? Can I get one of these? If you celebrate what you don't love, you need counseling or something. Like, I don't know what's going on with that. But we celebrate what we love. Like, we celebrate our kids when they have birthdays. We celebrate Halloween, Christmas, and times where we can relax and kick our feet up. Maybe you're like, well, I don't even really know what I love. Like, how can I measure what I love? That's a great question. We just went through an entire series where Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's look at some things that we spend our money on as a country, and we can kind of pinpoint what we love. Uh, For cat owners, how many cat owners? Raise your hand. All right, Jason, it's nice to see that. Um, for the average, cat, the average cat owner spends $93 a month for their cat. The average dog owner spends about $140 a month for their dog. The average American household spends $2,900 a year on entertainment. I mean, I saw Avengers. Um, and, and the average American household spends $1,800 a year on clothing. In 2018... Americans spent 721 b, it's a b, billion dollars on Christmas. That's the lights, that's the food, that's the gifts for husband and wife, that's the, uh-oh, we forgot grandma, let's not, like, in the car to get her a gift. Uh, all of those things put together. And so we, we spend a ton of money. That's, like, up from $100 billion, like $687 billion in 2017. We celebrate what we love. And while it's okay and totally fine to, like, go see Avengers. If it's still in theaters, it's a great movie. Go see it. But if you kind of unpack what's at the core of all of these, we can kind of draw a line straight to the garden, man. Like, I want a cat because I love the way that a cat makes me feel. Maybe you say that. I have a cat, and he's awful. But I have a dog, and they're great. And they come home, and they wag their tails, and it's great. Maybe that's, hey, I want a dog because I love the way that it makes me feel when I come home to have somebody wagging their tail and looking at me. I want to buy these certain clothes and, and, and look a certain way so maybe some people will accept me or maybe I'll fit in certain circles or I'll feel better about myself. Um, I want to go see certain movies or be entertained in some way so I can switch my brain off at the end of the day, so binge on like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever it is. At the core of all of it, it's a celebration of self. The foundation of our celebration has shifted. So what are we going to do this morning? This morning, we are simply going to find the foundation of our celebration, as we see in this text. And in Exodus chapter 12, we see three things. 
we see three things of how God is telling us to celebrate. He tells us who we celebrate, he tells us what, and he tells us how we should celebrate. And so let's start with the very first thing, the who. Look down at your Bible in verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the... Who is it? The Lord. It's right there. It's awesome. It's right there. It's almost like the last couple weeks when I've been going over this and looking at this verse. It's like God is so sovereign. He knows that, that he has to remind us and remind his people, hey, first of all, the who that you're celebrating is me. Because he knows that if we don't, we will automatically go straight back to try to make a noise. We'll go straight back to that, that mindset in the garden and celebrate ourselves or something else entirely different than himself. And so he's telling us the who. He's telling us to celebrate him. He says, this is my day. I am the Lord. Celebrate me on this day. And for those of you who don't know the backstory, I'm going to kind of get you from, from there to where we are in Exodus chapter 12. Um, the people of Israel are in slavery uh, in, in Egypt, and they have been marginalized and enslaved and forced to make bricks and make these massive cities, and they're beaten and tortured, and, and they've been crying out for 400 years for God to rescue them. Moses meets the voice of God in a burning bush. God calls Moses to come to Pharaoh and say, hey, God says, let his people go. And Pharaoh says, no, 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 no. And in between all those no's, we have a bunch of plagues. And then now we arrive to Exodus chapter 12. And God tells Moses to tell the people, hey, you're still here. You're still in Egypt. But I want you to celebrate me now for who I am and what I am going to do. And in the future, I want you to keep this celebration, and I want you to look back on what I did for you. But right now in this moment, we have the people of Israel being told, celebrate me now. Celebrate me now, when it's difficult, when it's hard. I wonder if we're the same way. I mean, I, I, just to be completely transparent with you, there have been seasons in my life where the last thing that I could imagine myself doing is celebrating God whether it's a bad phone call from the doctor's office, the loss of a loved one, if you're in financial distress or financial discord, sometimes it feels like the last thing that we can do or that we should do is thank God and celebrate God. David writes an interesting psalm. It's one of my favorite in Psalm 27. And he says, Though armies arise against me and evil encamps all around me, I'll remain confident. And then he goes on to say, The one thing that I ask of the Lord and that I seek the most is that I can dwell in his house my whole life and gaze on his beauty and inquire in his temple. Those two sections are not separated. They're right next to each other for a reason. David is saying that regardless of my circumstance and that even though I'm probably about to be overthrown by military, my kingdom will be taken and I may even die, the one thing that I desire and seek is to celebrate God, is to celebrate him. Can we celebrate the good and loving God and know that just in the same way that he brought the people of Israel through, through the word of Moses, hey, celebrate me now and look at what I'm going to do and then see it fulfilled and celebrate me for what I did. Maybe some of us just need to say, hey, I'm celebrating God right now, regardless of my circumstance. And then I know how we are. Like the, we're like, okay, so I need to celebrate God in the difficult times of life. I need to celebrate him right now. So just leave me alone. I'm going to hide away, and I'm just going to cry out to the Lord and turn on some worship music and open up my Bible and do this by myself in my closet and then scream and thank God and all of that stuff. Well, it doesn't really work like that. God hasn't just called us to solely celebrate him. We can't do this alone. We actually touched on this a little bit last week in Luke chapter 10. 
the, the professional in the law of Moses asks, what do I do to get to, and what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you read in the law? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I think some of us do exactly what that lawyer did and say, well, who's my neighbor? Because it's not Joe. <laughs> like, it's not Bill. It's not Tom. Those guys rub me the wrong way, and I just don't like how, how things work. And we've been on the rocks for a while. No. We are called to celebrate God first and foremost and then we celebrate one another. We celebrate our neighbor. And last week we talked a little bit about who our neighbor is. Maybe the closest thing that you can, maybe the first thing you can start with is, is if you're married, who you are sleeping next to at night. And then out from there, your children and those in your household and those you work with and your boss and all of those people. I think sometimes the last thing that our neighbor ever feels from us, or maybe this is just me, is celebrated. When was the last time you went to your boss at your, at your job and said, hey, I'm so thankful for you. You do a really good job leading us around here, and I just want to celebrate you today. I'm so thankful for you. I celebrate a good God, and he has called me to celebrate him, and this flows out of that, and I want to celebrate you. For those of you who are our bosses or managers, how many times have you gone to your employees and said, look, I know we don't get things right here all the time, and I mess up from time to time, but I'm so thankful that you're here, and I celebrate you. I want to celebrate you today. Husbands, when was the last time you looked your wife in the eye, not on Facebook or Instagram, but in the face, and said, I love you and appreciate you, and I celebrate you today? You slay it around the house and you work a thousand jobs in comparison to what I do and I am thankful for you. What can I do to help and how can I celebrate you? Wives, to your husbands, when was the last time you looked your husband in the face, not on social media, but said, I am thankful for you. You work long hours that are emotionally and physically draining. I celebrate you for that. We're called to celebrate God and we're called to celebrate one another because all celebration flows from celebrating God. All celebration will flow from celebrating God. Maybe you find yourself in a difficult situation and, and you're back with like Joe and Tom and Bill and you think that, well, I can't really celebrate them. Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, if anyone says I love God but hates his brother, he's a liar. So there's that. Let's move on to point number two. What do we celebrate? We have seen who we celebrate. Now let's look at what. Look at your Bible in verse 11. Down in verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So in this specific text, we have exactly the what we are celebrating. We are celebrating the Passover. The Passover, for those of you who don't know, is the feast that God had instituted and given the people of Israel to celebrate him rescuing them out of 400 years of slavery, the exodus, right? The, the escape through the Red Sea and then in the wilderness and eventually the promised land. That is the Passover that they are celebrating. They are celebrating what God has done for them. And they would have viewed this through a lens of family. They would have viewed this through a lens of understanding, hey, we are part of, we are part of God's family. At one point in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, Moses says, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. So the people of Israel would have understood that the family language that we saw with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the covenants that were made with them and with God for generations that leaked down to them when they were enslaved in Egypt 
would have rang true for them that day, that they were part of God's family. But it's not just the what we celebrate as God's family, it's also the individual families. It's also in our own households. There are two other feasts that I'm not going to get heavily into, but we have the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths. Everybody say Booths. Booths. Sorry, I've been doing that at youth for like the last six months, right? Say, I want to do it again. Everybody say Booths. Booths. So we have those two feasts, and, and they're both established for, for different reasons, but they are commanded by God for God because of what God has done. And we see something specifically in both of those feasts that rings kind of true with the individual family and not just the collective family of God's people. For the Feast of Weeks in verse 11, it's you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters. And for the Feast of Booths in verse 14 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, it said you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your sons and your daughters. So we're not just called to celebrate, and we saw in the who that all celebration flows from celebrating God. So our, our individual families get involved in this as well. And these are celebrations of God, commanded by God, because of God. But the people of Israel did what we often do, and they forget. So many years after God had saved them out of slavery, the exodus, the, prom, um, sorry, the, the wilderness, and then the promised land, they forget and they don't really do a good job of keeping this Passover feast and celebrating God and celebrating with one another. And so this isn't on the screen, but I'm going to read it for you. Uh, a king named Hezekiah uh, wrote a decree and sent it out to some people. He said in 2 Chronicles 35 through 6, So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem. For they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So couriers went through all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes, as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. So Hezekiah is saying, hey, we have now been, you've now been delivered again from an oppressive force, the kings of Assyria, just like you were back in Egypt, It'd probably be great if we stopped forgetting about this and actually got together and celebrated God as he commanded us to do. We forget from time to time, I think, how to celebrate. I'm sorry, what we celebrate. I think it's very easy to forget what we celebrate. Hezekiah issued a decree because the people sucked at it and we're no different. Can I say suck on a Sunday morning? Probably. Um, This is a picture of Kayla and I when we got married. Around us is all of our Colorado crew that we used to hang out with. And in the picture on either side of Kayla, it's zoomed in a little bit in the next slide, um, that's Russell and Brittany. Um, Russell's on the right of Kayla and Brittany's right there on the left. They're great friends of ours. We've been through a ton of life with them. We love them and miss them dearly. And I don't remember the exact details of this conversation, so I'm going to fill in some blanks, but the purpose serves the same. I was playing disc golf with Russell one day, and I said, Russell, what are you guys doing this weekend? He said, we're celebrating. I said, oh, cool. Like, you got a holiday coming up, a birthday something good at work. He's like, yeah, I lost my job. And I was like, did you, did you hate it there? <laughs> like, was, was your boss a jerk? He's like, no, um, I'm looking for a new job, but I lost my job. But Brittany and I are celebrating. And I was like, why? That's not something worth celebrating. And I don't think I said exactly that, but he said, early on in our marriage, Brittany and I made a pact. We made an agreement that regardless of whatever happened, whether the water heater went out or things were awful financially or if I got a raise at work or something great happened, we were going to celebrate. 
because we wanted to remind ourselves that life is good and things are worth celebrating. And that was a very, uh, Kayla and I were talking about this when we were, when we were, when I was running some of this stuff through her ear this past week, and she was like, you should tell that story, and I said, I totally am going to. And I love that story because it's, it's Russell and Brittany, regardless of what is taking place, they are celebrating and turning their attention and kind of in, guiding their emotions to go in a direction that they're telling them to, as opposed to just being guided by their emotions, as opposed to, ah, we have been, you know, held captive or, or oppressed by the kings of Syria, and so now we're not going to celebrate because nothing's worth celebrating. And God is saying, no, you need to celebrate. And through Hezekiah, he says, hey, let's do this again. And we need reminding. And what's interesting about this is, is, is that this is another huge moment for the people of Israel. And what we see all throughout Scripture is that monumental moments are marked by celebration. Monumental moments are marked by celebration. So with Russell and Brittany, it was pretty much everything in, in the middle. Every tiny thing they would celebrate as often as they could. But they also knew how to throw a party, man. Like we've had Thanksgivings with them that we will never forget because they're super fun. And they throw it all out and throw it together. And that is how our celebration should be. That is how our celebrations should take place. Monumental moments are marked by celebration. What are some monumental moments for you? I want you to take a moment and think about what are your monumental moments. Why don't we start with this? How about marriage? For those of you who are married, the day that you got married, I would say that is a monumental moment. Husbands, if you do not remember your anniversary or your wedding date, raise your hand. Just kidding. Don't do that. You'll get in trouble. Um, write it down. Set an alarm on your phone. Do something. Celebrate that mug. It is one of the greatest gifts, aside from salvation, that God has given us that is a great mystery that reflects Christ and his church, that husbands would love their wives as Christ loved the church, that the two can become one flesh and families birth from this. This is a gift that God has given us, and it's something that can last a lifetime here on this planet. Celebrate that. Go all out in that thing. How about this? How about birth? How many of you were born? Raise your hand. Yeah, if your hand's not up, you're lying or your arm's tired. That's okay. Um, Jason had mentioned last week that, that we love going to the third floor at the hospital over at PBRMC because that's where all the babies are. For those of you who have kids, you know they change your life forever. Another beautiful thing to celebrate, whether it's your own birthday or the birthdays of those around you. Because in the birth of a child, we see a gift that God has given. The psalmist had said that they're like arrows that fill a quiver that we can shoot at the devil in his face. And that we have, we, we have family and life that, that flows from this. And that when we have a lot of them, they are a joy and we can, we can sing about them and thank God for them. But they also remind us and point us to the spiritual birth that happens inside of us when we are invited into the family of God. Celebrate your kids. Celebrate the monumental moment of what it is to be born or to be born again, which is the last one, your salvation. That's a pretty monumental moment, right? For those of you who have a date and know the exact time, date, hour, whatever, that's great. Write that down. That is a day worth celebrating. That is a day worth celebrating with your family and saying, hey, this is the day that I was dead, but Christ brought me to life. And now it is no longer that I who live, but Christ who lives in me because by grace he has saved me through faith. These are things worth celebrating. If you don't know the day, the time, the hour, that's okay. Like maybe you're like, eh, I don't know, it was like fall of 89. That's fine. Pick a date. Maybe it was in the summertime. Pick July 4th and then celebrate it while you're grilling hot dogs and hanging out with your family and celebrating America. These are things that are worth celebrating. Marriage, birth, salvation. Because monumental moments are marked 
by celebration. And so we talked about the who, who we celebrate. We celebrate the Lord, and then from that celebration, from celebrating God flows all celebration with one another and to one another. And then we see the what, monumental moments. Maybe one of those isn't on the screen for you. Figure out what that moment is and celebrate it. But how do we celebrate these? How do we celebrate these monumental moments? That's the last point, is how. In verses 3 through 13 in this text, I'm not going to read all of it right now, but they mark a very first step in the Lord telling Israel how to specifically celebrate this event. Right? So we have a specific time of year. We have a specific time of day. We have a certain animal. We have the way it's supposed to be killed and eaten. We have what we're supposed to wear. We have what we're supposed to say and do and how we are supposed to eat this. It's, it's all details that God has graciously given us rather than saying, hey, celebrate me because I'm going to take you out. In his beauty and in his, in his sovereignty, he uses this beautiful image, imagery to point to, to a truth that's far beyond what is there at the current table. He points to the how. And I think oftentimes we try to make up the how. Like we try to do the how in our own way. Like, like I don't know, like maybe it's whatever's socially acceptable or what's culturally right rather than doing like something extravagant or maybe something a little less than extravagant. This is a picture of my sister. Um, this is, she's actually getting married next, next month, and we're going to go out and see them, which is going to be great. A few years back, um, she was getting ready to sell her car, I guess, on like Craigslist or something, and she was like, hey, the only thing I need, to, I need it to do to pass inspection is to get the horn fixed. And I said, I've worked on a car a few times. I could probably fix the horn. And so she hands me the package with the horn in it. I look up the instructions that come in the package and watch a YouTube video. And after about 45 minutes, I'm like, well, I can't do step one because I don't know what that word means. And I can't do step three because I don't have that tool. And so I'll do as much as I can from this YouTube guide, and then I will just go from there. Needless to say, that thing was was mounted under there, and I don't think I even got any wires connected to it, and it didn't work at all. Because I tried to do it my way, right? Like, I tried to, to go about this process in a way that I made up on my own. And we see that God has given us a specific way to celebrate. And I want to get to that in a moment, but I want to talk a little bit about the ways that we celebrate, how we celebrate. First of all, I think sometimes the way that we celebrate can be subtle. We can celebrate subtly. Like, ooh, I know it's that guy's birthday at work today, but I don't really like him all that much, so rather than telling him happy birthday to his face or maybe telling him something I appreciate about him, I'm just going to shoot him a, a, something on his Facebook wall, something that's really subtle, really simple, like, happy birthday, man. Or, eh, like, we've been saving up. Like, we can't really do that much for you this year, kiddo, but, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to do what we can. We'll celebrate you a little bit. And we don't want to, you know, let anybody else in the family feel singled out or left out. So you're going to come here and you're going to be a part of this, but we're not going to celebrate you, you specifically. I think a lot of times we struggle with celebration in a subtle way because we don't know exactly how to do it. The second way that we do it is sparingly, sparingly. Maybe you say, eh, I don't know if we can really, like, I don't know if I have enough time in my week to be able to, to take some time off of work and then, and then go out to the park and hang out with you guys. I mean, we, we can probably do that this weekend. I know it's his birthday tonight, but we could probably do that this weekend. That we're sparing with our time or with our resources or our finances or our talents because we don't fully understand or know what it is to celebrate something rightly. In this passage, we have revealed for us the how of how God asks us and how God celebrates himself. So this is the way God celebrates. God celebrates specifically. 
specifically. Listen to these verses. This month shall be for you the beginning of months, the first month of the year. Tell all the congregation on the tenth day of this month to take a lamb according to their father's house. The lamb's got to be without blemish. They have to take the blood after they kill it at twilight and put it on the doorposts and the lintel. And they have to eat all of it that night and it has to be roasted, not boiled, all of the inner parts and all of it. None of it can remain. And then they have to eat it wearing certain things in verse 11 with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand to remind them that they had to leave hastily and that God saved them quickly. God celebrates and calls us to celebrate specifically. How can you specifically celebrate your spouse? Specifically. I know that she has desired this for a while and that we've talked about doing this or going a certain place or whatever, but maybe we can't do that yet. What are ways that, what are ways that you can make that happen? What are ways that you can even compromise? And it's not all revolving around money. There are things that, that you can spend that are outside of your money, like your time. When was the last time that your wife said, hey, I just want to spend some time with you this evening? Or your husband said, hey, I just, want to, I just want to kick it on the couch and spend some time with you. That sounds like a pretty specific detail. Maybe celebrate that way. Maybe hang out and sit down together. But it's not just specific, it's also sacrificial. God celebrates sacrificially. The lamb that you are supposed to take is without blemish in verse 5. A male, a year old. You take it from the sheep for the goats. You should keep it until the 14th day and the whole congregation establishes and gathers. A goat was not just something that was running around in this culture. It was, it was a, a valued, prized piece of property. And that was something that God was saying, hey, this is sacrificial. This is something that you are going to take and it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your time. It's going, it, may, it may even cost you a resource. So how can we celebrate in that way? How can we celebrate in ways that, that cost us something? I mean, I, I struggled with this a couple weeks ago. Kayla and I, I personally made an attempt to, to be specific and sacrificial um, in celebrating my daughter. Um, this is a picture of Jesse and I on a slide. Um, a couple weeks ago, we decided that we were going to, I, I was going to try and leave work like an hour early for like two or three days that week and just go meet my family in the park. We went to like four different parks in Poplar Bluff, and it was great. We have a lot of parks here. It's great. Um, and while we were there, we were going down the slide, and I was spending time with Jesse, and even though it cost me something like some time, I was constantly overwhelmed. I found myself going down that slide and thinking about everything that still needs to get done and thinking about everything that still needs to take place. And I just felt God, whether it was his audible voice or just a a sticky sentence in my head, say, hey, in this moment, there's a lot less to be done and a lot more to behold. You are looking at your daughter. This is a gift that I have given you. Look at her and tell her you're thankful for her. Go down the slide again. Specifically, sacrificially, take some time. It's okay to leave work an hour early, once or twice a week, or maybe once every other week or something, and meet your family at the park. Go down the slide. Celebrate your kids. Celebrate your wife. It's okay to get away for a weekend and make sure your affairs are in order. Yeah, that's fine. But celebrate one another. But it's going to cost you something. And really the idea of all of this is who is at the core of your celebration? If the foundation of your celebration is still yourself, then you will have a very difficult time celebrating others, let alone celebrating God, because all celebration flows from celebrating God. 
There's always less to be done and more to behold. How can you celebrate your spouse? How can you celebrate your kids? How can you celebrate your boss or your employees? How can you celebrate your family, your extended family? How you celebrate subtly, sparingly, specifically, or sacrificially will always reveal who you celebrate. How you celebrate God will reveal who you celebrate. How you celebrate your spouse or your kids or your family or your friends will reveal who you celebrate. And so what do we see in all of this? We don't just see that that God has called us to come and look at this passage, but we see a massive theme that takes place in Exodus chapter 12, and I will close with this. We see the who, the what, and the how in the celebration of humanity in this. In this passage, we see the reason we gather on a Sunday morning to celebrate who, the Lord, what, and how. In this passage, we have a lamb. We have a sacrificial lamb. Many of you are connecting the dots and you know that that represents Christ. That God is going to save all of humanity through one good, pure sacrifice, which is his own son. The blood that we have around the lintels of the door represents the blood that washes over us and covers a multitude of sins. And how do we celebrate? How do we come together on a Sunday morning and celebrate God and celebrate one another and with one another? And we see it at the table, man. We see it in the elements, in the bread, and in the wine. Jesus sits down with his disciples and has his Passover meal. This Passover meal that we're reading about with them in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. In verses 19 through 20, and he says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the covenant in my blood, the new covenant. We celebrate by gathering together. We celebrate by thanking God for who he is and what he has done. And we do that, the how, by coming to the table. So if you are a baptized follower of Jesus Christ this morning, we would encourage you, come forward and celebrate. Celebrate what God has done. Celebrate how he has saved you from death and brought you to life by his son. And celebrate that through coming to the table. If you stand to your feet this morning. Our goal has been to find the foundation of celebration. And the big idea is is this. The foundation of all celebration is simply found in Jesus. The foundation of all celebration is found in Jesus. So celebrate God first and foremost. Now, this morning, come to the table. What are you celebrating? Celebrate what he's done for you. Celebrate your families. Celebrate the day that he saved you, man. How do you celebrate? Celebrate your spouse and your kids. and It may cost you something. But that kind of celebration will only flow from celebrating God first and foremost. And this morning as you come to the table, be reminded of how we celebrate a celebrating God. Can we pray together this morning?
Let's pray the Lord's Prayer aloud together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being the great celebrator and not selfishly holding it to yourself, but pouring it out on creation and on your people. I pray this morning that you would restore the foundation of our celebration in every aspect of our life and reveal that to us this morning as we respond by coming to the table and singing loud of how great and how good of a God you are. We ask all of this in the mighty and living name of Jesus Christ. Amen.